0: the book of John we saw Jesus show up at a wedding and they ran out of wine and what did Jesus do to the water turn the water into wine yeah he turned the water into wine and so we see Jesus doing these miracles and there are these guys especially with this most recent one with the guy getting up and walking they actually saw the guy who used to be paralyzed walking and they were the Pharisees And when they saw this guy, you'd think they would be amazed, right? You'd think they'd be like, wow, that's incredible. Like this guy who couldn't walk before is now healed. But they weren't amazed, did you know that? It's kind of the opposite of what happens when you're watching a magic show. You see, a magic show, we want to be amazed. We want to be tricked, actually, in some ways. We want to believe that the normal rules of the world all sudden don't apply in this instance. And so we're looking for those things to happen. Now, what's happening here is the complete opposite. You see, the Pharisees didn't want to see the miraculous. They didn't want to see the amazing things happen. And and we see this throughout the New Testament. So many times Jesus performed miracles right in front of their eyes. And do you know what? Instead of being amazed and saying that's amazing, they wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him because he did these things. And, And they didn't want to believe They didn't want to believe. You can kind of think what's going through their head. Maybe they're dismissing it in one way or or another. But because they came, already had an idea in their head, that's what took over. And so we're going to be talking about this a little bit today as we go into our story. But before we do, I would just like to uh, open us up in a time of prayer. And I'm going to encourage you guys to pray with me. It's important that we pray before we go into a message because we we want to make sure we're hearing from God and that he's getting our hearts right. So I encourage you all to pray with me. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good. You are amazing. And Father, I ask that you would teach us through your word today. Lord, You are worthy of our worship. You're worthy of our praise. I I just thank you for just our time fellowshipping together and Marty leading music. And and we remember who you are, God, that you are holy and that you are good. And we depend on you. Lord, we ask today, Lord, that you would just fill our homes with your presence. And God, we ask that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. God, we love you, and we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. 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 So I'm going to be uh, turning today in John chapter 5, and if you would join with me, John chapter 5, and and as I said, what we're covering is and Jesus talking to the Pharisees after he has performed this miracle. So let's see what let's see what he has to say here, and we're going to be all the way down, starting in verse thirty. So John chapter five verse thirty. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to have your Bible and read along. This is this is God's word. This is our sword, and man, like. We need we need His Word in our life. We need the messages in this book in our lives. Amen. This is this is my kind of instructions. This is this is what I want to align myself with. So, do you have a Bible, go ahead and hold it up and show us. Yeah, I got my Bible. This is Amen. We got some Bibles there, uh, and we're gonna read along together in John chapter five, verse thirty through forty-seven. And Jesus says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. bear witness about me that the father has sent me and the father who sent me has himself borne witness about me his voice you have never heard his form you have never seen and you do not have his word abiding in you for you do not believe the one whom he has sent you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If anyone comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? This is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for your word. We ask that you speak to us through your word. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was in middle school, I read a book called Where the Red Fern Grows. Who here's ever read that book? You can raise your hand if you read Where the Red Fern Grows. And this book really connected to me because I was a kid who grew up out in the country, and the book is about a kid who grows up out in the country. And this kid, he he really, he wanted to get something. He wanted these red bone coonhounds, and he didn't really have money, so he saved up money by selling bottles that he collected, and eventually he got up enough money to go and and buy these these red bone coonhounds. Now the thing is, he had to travel down to the town. He went through the wilderness and. He finds the guy and he gets these two coon hounds. So now his next step was he had to train his, his dogs. Yeah, these two little puppies, and he had to train them to hunt raccoons. Now, to, ha- to train a dog to hunt raccoons, he needed a coon skin. Alright, so it's kind of interesting to be able to catch raccoons, you need a raccoon. So he had a way that he had heard of how to catch a raccoon without coon hounds. And he didn't really like this method. He didn't think that it was the, the, a fair way to do it. But this is what he did. He drilled a hole in a log, okay? So you picture a log, you got your log and he drills a hole down in it. And then he took nails and he drove nails around the hole. So they're all pointing down in. And then he took a little shiny object. I think it was like a little piece of tin foil, wadded up, dropped it down in the hole. you're I mean, like, how is that going to catch a raccoon? Right? What, what, how, how is that going to catch a raccoon? Well, here's what would happen, at least in the book. I don't know if this would actually work in real life, but this is what happened in the book. The raccoon comes along and raccoons like shiny objects. And, and the raccoon looks in the log and he sees a little shiny object and he says, I need that, I need that little shiny object. And he's believing with all his heart that that is the best thing in the world for him. And so he reaches his little raccoon paw down into the hole between the nails and he grabs the shiny object. But here's the problem because of the nails coming in now that his his little paw is no longer like this but it's in a fist he can't pull it back through. He can't pull it back through the hole because the nails are kind of digging into his paw and so now you have a stuck raccoon. You have a stuck raccoon. He's holding on to this little shiny object. He can't get his paw. Now, what would he have, if he really wanted to get free, what would he have to do? All he would have to do would be let go of the shiny object. He could take his paw and leave. But he he was so sold on this idea that he needed that shiny object, that he was holding on to it for, for with everything. And so the character in the story, then he has a trapped raccoon that he beats with the club, and there's his coonskin. It's kind of brutal. So sorry for the the apologize for the, the the kind of harsh reality story. But this is this is a good picture of what we're dealing with in this passage. You see, what was what was actually keeping the raccoon stuck in this story? Was it the shiny object? Was it the nails or was it the belief the raccoon had inside of him? The message that he had inside of it was so wrapped up in his head that he needed that. He needed that shiny object. That's what kept him stuck. That's what kept him stuck. And I think we see something similar in our passage today. If you haven't caught on yet, today we're talking about messages that we believe. There's, there's messages that we believe that keep us stuck. There's, there's messages that we hold on to that are trapping us. And so we look at the Pharisees. I feel like Jesus is, is starting to go through this process with them. And, and he's he's kind of man, it almost, he seems pretty harsh on them, but he's, man, he's caring for them. He's trying to help them to see clearly. And, and just like we're asking the raccoon, was it, was it the nails? Was it his paw? Was it the shiny thing? Jesus starts going through all the things that could have been holding up the Pharisees. And And he starts off, he says, you know, maybe if it's just me, saying who I am. And, and first, before I go there, what's what's holding up the Pharisees? What are they being held from? Be, from believing in Christ. The, ma- the main thing is, is that they're not believing Jesus. They're not believing what he's saying. He, they're not believing who he's saying he is. And so we're wondering, why aren't they believing? So this is what Christ is, is addressing. First thing he gets to in, in verse 31, he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony, it's not true. So he's kind of giving them a little validity there. He's like, you know what, if I'm just talking about myself, how can you trust that? You know, if it was just me saying that I'm Jesus, I'm not Jesus, but this is Jesus who'd say that then it's like, well, we need a little bit more evidence than that. So he's kind of like, if it's just me, like we, we, we need some more data. And even throughout the Bible, there's this principle that any truth is to be established on the basis of two or three witnesses. We see this in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. This was in their court of law. If they were to convict somebody of any crime, they needed two or three witnesses. In the New Testament, even Paul talks about this as far as how we come to know things. You need to see it two or three times in different ways. And so here Jesus is starting to go through this process for the Pharisees. He's like, "Okay, if it's just me talking about myself, that's not enough for you. That's not enough. But you got you got a little bit more than that. Not only is it me telling you who I am, but also you had John the Baptist. John the Baptist, a guy who was very Clearly sent from God, a guy who had the Holy Spirit in him and everyone could tell. He testified about me. And and not only did you have John the Baptist, but you also have the works that I did. And this is down in verse 36. He says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father. Has sent me so jesus is saying okay you have what i'm there's what i'm saying you had john the baptist too and then you have the things you saw with your own eyes you're seeing me perform miracles in front of you there's there's another piece of data and you want there's you already got two or three right there jesus doesn't stop there further on down he he starts looking at you have the scriptures you have the scriptures down in verse 39 it says you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me so not only do they have jesus and john the baptist and jesus miracles but he says you also have the whole old testament and the whole man over and over and over again it's all pointing to me and and there are prophecy after prophecy there's picture after picture and that i'm the fulfillment of that you should be able to see that and and then he goes even more specifically in the scriptures because they're their favorite guy in the bible especially the pharisees was moses the reason the pharisees loved moses most of all is because moses was the one who gave them the law and the pharisees were all about following the law as best as as they thought they could and and he goes down this is verse 45 he says do you do not think that I will accuse you the father is one who accuses you Moses on whom you have set your hope Moses their hero but he says this he actually says they didn't believe Moses he says for if you believed Moses you would believe me for he wrote of me now there's an interesting thing right there isn't it? it says They had their hope in Moses. Moses was their hero, and yet they did not really believe Moses. How could that be? I think think we have a clue on this further up in verse 38. He says, and you do not have his word abiding in you, talking about the Father's word, which is in Scripture. He says, you do not have his word abiding in you. In you, for you do not believe on the one whom he has sent. And again, in verse 42, it says, But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. So what he's getting at is like you guys can read the words, you're reading the message, but that message hasn't come down deep into your heart. It's not actually the message that is controlling you and that is that you are living by. Just, just as this, this little raccoon, he had a different message in his mind. He had a different message that he was believing and it was keeping him trapped. And what we see here with the Pharisees is that they didn't have God's message in there. So what message was there? if it wasn't God's message in their heart, what message were they holding on to? What message was keeping them trapped? I believe we see this down towards the end of our passage. Verse 44, it says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe Basically, the saying is like, you guys aren't going to be able to believe as long as you're seeking glory from one another. You see, I think, I think the message that the Pharisees were holding on to is that they needed glory from each other. They needed affirmation from each other. They needed to be, get their egos stoked from one another. instead of from God. And I, I think when I, when I look at this, I realize, man, isn't that something that we fall into so easily? Isn't it? Because I want people to like me. I think we all do. That's that's not, not wrong, necessarily. I, I want them to, to think I'm doing a good job. You know, we have this in our workplace, in our schools, with our families, siblings, right? We want everyone to think well of us, right? But in all of that, we we really we can miss the most important person. But do we care what God thinks of us? Do we? And do we even know what he thinks about us? You think, I, I, I think that the Pharisees were looking for this from everybody else, and, and we end up falling into the same trap so easily. We start looking for our affirmation, everything from everybody else, because we don't know how much God loves us. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And many of you know that verse. We read this earlier in this, in this book that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And and Scott made the point as he was preaching that, that a lot of times instead what we end up thinking is for God so hated the world. Like, is that, that almost sounds weird. Is that, is that really what we're, we're thinking, well, why why were the, the Pharisees so bent on, on being legalistic and keeping the law, right? Why, why would that be? I think it's because they thought they had to work really hard to earn God's love. And if you have to work really hard to earn somebody's love, what does that actually say? It says they don't love you right, is that actually they're believing God hates them. I think you find this, anyone that's trapped up in a legalistic mindset, is actually underneath it is a belief. God hates me. And, and, well, he hates me if I do anything wrong. So if, if, I get, if I really work hard and I get it right, then maybe he'll love me. And, and we start projecting that same thinking onto others. And, and we start thinking, well, they're going to hate me unless if I get everything right. Because surely no one could actually just accept me for who I am. I, I got to prove it to them. And so the Pharisees start getting into this trap of, of trying to prove themselves to each other. And trying to be as good as they can, because if I'm not perfect, then no one's going to love me. But you know what? The message of Christ that he gives is the opposite of that. It's the complete opposite. And that it is what God so loved the world. And when did he love the world? Paul talks about this, John talks about this in 1 John as well. He loves us while we were still sinners, right? And Christ says this over and over, He says, I didn't come for the the righteous. Jesus didn't come for the good people. He, He didn't die for you because you were following all God's commands perfectly. No, quite the opposite. He came because we weren't. It says that Christ died for us while we are sinners. And, and the first thing that it takes to actually accept Christ is to know that I need a Savior. And, and so a message that I've been, I've been thinking of with this lately has been knowing when God loves us. Knowing when he loves us. And that when you are at your worst, God loves you. When, when you are thinking that other people don't like, and here, here's something that goes on in our head too, and I, we start getting like these resentments come up, we, because we believe somebody hates us, right? And, and we, tr- we try to wrestle with that. I wanna, I wanna I give them a little bit of credibility. Maybe I deserve to be hated, and if that's true, then God, who is about everything that's true and right, would hate me too. And, and so I want to kind of give you guys a, a chance to kind of think through that. If we go through and look at where, where am I believing in my life that God hates me? Is it Am I believing he hates me because I've, I've dropped the ball, because I feel like I'm lazy, because I screwed up here, because I disappointed somebody? Maybe, maybe I, I really sin big time. Right? And he had that shame hanging over us. And maybe it wasn't something recently, maybe it's something a long time ago. And we come to God and we're thinking, well, he hates me because of this thing. But maybe, maybe I can follow all the rules good enough that I can love him, that I can get lo- love from him. And I can get love from others. But that that doesn't work. No, we need to know that God loves us. He loves us when we're at our worst. So you can write that. You can say, write, write that out. Even if you have a pen and paper, you say, God loves me when dot, dot, dot. You fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. And I believe this is the message that that God wants us to know in our hearts. That's the message of the gospel. When it talks about seeking glory from God. How do I get glory from God? I get glory from God, from being in relationship. He's, he's bringing a way for us to be in relationship with him through his son. And he lifts us up in that. It's actually through our humility. And James chapter four talks about that. We humble ourselves and say, God, he will lift us up saying, I need you, Lord. I need you. And I, I can, I can boldly come before you because I know that you love me even at my very worst. And that this wasn't, didn't just happen once when I first became a Christian. Sometimes we think that, well, He died for me while I was a sinner before I'm a Christian. But now that I'm a Christian, if I don't live perfectly, God's going to hate me. We somehow, like, we believe the gospel once, and we forget that the gospel is continually true. Jesus loves us. He's, He's forgiving over and over and over again. I know this because he teaches us to forgive each other over and over again. Matthew 18. Peter asks him, how many times should I forgive my brother? Jesus says, he, he said seven times, he just says, no, at least 70 times seven. Basically saying, just be, why? Because that's how God works with us. The blood of Christ never d- runs dry. Blood of Christ never runs dry. So that's, that's my word for us today. You know, and, and just kind to pray for us here. If you're feeling stuck, somewhere in your life. When I look back, what are, what are the messages that are keeping me trapped? What are, what are the messages that might be keeping me from truly believing Jesus and believing who he is and who he says he is, that he is the son of God who died for me, that he is the representation fully of God's love for me. Is there something that I'm holding on to, a message I'm holding on to that's keeping me from believing that? And we find that, I want, I want to encourage us, so that's something we can bring to God. And we say, Lord, you can even pray with me right now. I'm going to lead us into a time of prayer and then we'll have uh, some discussion on this. And I just want to lead us into this and, and just just pray with me. Say, God, you know, here's, here's a thing I've been believing. Here's the here's way that I, I haven't been believing your love for me fully. And you don't hate me because of that. You actually love me in that. And you died for even that false belief, Lord. And so I repent of that. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your love. Lord, we love you. We praise you and thank you. You are so good. Thank you in Jesus' name.